May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So one of the reasons I was away, the first time I was away, was to uh, be involved in a couple of events outside of and on the edge of the Lambeth Bishops' Conference. So I was not at the Bishops' the Lambeth Conference, uh, but I was allowed in once to meet the Bishop Protectors uh, with my visitor's lanyard, and they gave me a meal, so that was good. I was, but I wasn't worried, but I, I was wondering if I might eat that night, and I was able to eat, so that was good. Uh, apart from that, they were worried about protests, so they had pretty tight security. So if you didn't have one of those lanyards, you didn't get it. That's how they ran that. Um, and meeting the Bishop Protectors was useful. Uh, it was more than useful. It was the first time. So the Lambeth Conference happens every 10 years normally, uh, on an eight year. Uh, but, uh, but Archbishop Justin Welby delayed the Lambeth Conference until 2020 to give them a little bit more time, given what was happening in the communion. Uh, and then COVID hit, so they had to delay it another two years. So I'm not sure when the next one will be. This year's meeting was organised around a series of calls, which was uh, papers that were written just before the Lambeth Conference, and one of them got into the press. So there was a little bit about, in the human dignity, about reaffirming the decision of the 1998 Lambeth Conference about homosexuality and there were two parts to that uh, and a lot of people were upset that that was mentioned again uh, so one part said we had to be welcoming and pastoral and the other one affirmed that marriage was only between men and women so Justin Welby had to reinsert that because of a significant group of bishops who were coming to Lambeth and want to remain part of the Anglican communion unlike other bishops like the Archbishop of Sydney uh, and uh, but they wanted their position respected. Um, so it was a respecting of their position, but also acknowledging that there are a lot of bishops who don't agree with that position. So that made the press. Um, and as a result of all of that, they were going to vote on each of those calls, and they decided in the end not to vote. So this just became a conversation, a very important conversation between bishops who come from very different places in the world, uh, different theological places, different geographical places, different socio-economic places. And it was a place that allowed them to sit down together and to just talk, to not have to persuade each other of the rightness of their positions, but actually to listen. So the calls, uh, the, the themes were mission and evangelism, safe church, Anglican identity, reconciliation, human dignity, that's the one that got into the press, environmental and environment and sustainable development, Christian unity, interfaith relations, discipleship, and science and faith. So each day began with prayer and Bible study, and then there would be input from a variety of people, some present, some pre-recorded, uh, and then using the calls, the bishops would meet in small groups and talk about that topic with some preset questions. And these were the same small groups that they'd been meeting with uh, on Zoom for most of the year leading up to the Lambeth Conference doing Bible studies together. So they were now able to meet in person at Lambeth and to have those conversations face to face. And the bishops I have talked to have said that was the highlight of the conference, actually just being able to sit down 
and talk to bishops from all around the world. The call on environment and sustainable development uh, very, so these are all available online if you want to read them. They're just on a single document on the Lambeth Conference website. Uh, and you can download it and you can read them all. So I've only read this one and I've had a quick look at the human dignity one. Uh, so this one, and they're not very long, uh, lays out the existential threat posed by climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution. And it calls on the bishops to respond, and through the bishops, it calls on us to respond. Because of our faith as Christians. Now the Anglican Communion is in a unique position to respond, like some of the larger churches, Catholic Church, Orthodox Church, for example. The Anglican Church is present in about 160 countries around the world, which is the vast majority of countries, in some form or other. And among those who are involved in the life of the Anglican Church are some of the most poorest and the most affected by climate change, biodiversity loss, pollution. And their voices are often the voices that are either not heard or are silenced. There are also, uh, in many of our uh, provinces, groups of indigenous people uh, whose relationship with God's world is different from those of us from the West. And they have much to teach us about how to live in ways that all people and all of creation will thrive. And again, these indigenous groups are often amongst those whose voices are not heard or are silenced. But also in the Anglican Church are people who can help those voices be heard who can help those voices be heard in the places that they need to be heard. Because amongst our members are people who sit in very powerful places within government, NGOs, UN, all kinds of places. So we can become a vehicle by which those voices are heard. We also have some of the richest people in the world amongst our members. People who benefit from the industries that are causing climate change, biodiversity loss, pollution. And so there is the potential and the hope that as they are converted, as they are helped to see what their lifestyle and what their businesses are doing to creation, that they can change that and find other ways of operating. We also have significant investment funds. The Church of England Investment Fund, for example, is huge. Uh, and they are already using that in ways to try to affect change. So one of the ways they've done that is to divest their investment within the oil companies and are making a statement about the immorality of those. I mean, while I was in England, BP announced its quarterly profits of $9 billion. Uh, and tried to justify that by saying how much they were going to invest in the UK while pensioners and beneficiaries and those on low income are looking at a winter where they will simply not be able to afford the fuel for their heating. So many people this winter are expected to be in very cold conditions. So it's a hard, you know, it's a hard sell. We made lots and lots and lots of money because of the war in Ukraine and, uh, and we're a little bit sorry that people are going to freeze this winter, but you know, we're, we're well off. So BP was having a hard time trying to justify those profit margins. 
And amongst our members are also people who are working very hard at finding different ways of producing, whether that's from the land or an industry. So we, amongst our members, have a vast array of people who are both affected by climate change, biodiversity loss, pollution, but also people who can make a difference and who are making a difference. And that's the important thing to remember, that we are already making a difference. But this was a call to take that work, uh, to place that more centrally in the life of the church. But the document makes it clear that this different needs, difference needs to offer hope rather than more fear. There's enough fear going around at the moment as there is. And this hope needs to be centred on God's desires for God's world. God's desires for God's world. Our, back, our gospel reading this morning reminds us that when we, set, when we place the gospel demands at the centre of our lives, that demands change of all of us. And I think sometimes we get a bit comfortable with how things are. And Jesus and Luke and Jeremiah and even the passage from Philemon, which is a really interesting little passage because Paul is sending somebody who had been a slave back to his owner, but there's some real tension in what Paul is saying around, like, slavery is part of their economic life, it's part of the fabric of their being, but this knowing a slave is pushing Paul and, some, and sitting with the gospel that we are all brothers and sisters, pushes Paul towards something that, if you read the letter, he can't quite grasp it, but he is grasping for something different, something new. He has to let go of how the world has been. And that passage, that little book, uh, was used by the Clapham sect in their work to end slavery in the British Empire. So while Paul couldn't quite get there, people who followed him could get there. And in fact, slavery in Western Europe was outlawed for a long time. It was only when they found black people in Africa that it was reintroduced. So, uh, and then they built this hierarchy of white people at the top and black people at the bottom, and that then justified slavery once again. Today is also the first Sunday in the season of creation. This is an ecumenical thing, bigger than just the Anglican Church. It involves the Roman Catholic Church, and certainly Pope Francis is very active in promoting the season of creation and what the issues around the season of creation are. And because of that, will be the Roman Catholic Church will have a significant voice at this year's COP around uh, climate change and the other COP around biodiversity loss. Uh, but it also includes the Orthodox Church, the second largest church in the world, and the Anglican Church, the third largest church in the world, and the Lutheran Church, and in this country, Methodists and Presbyterians and others. So huge numbers of Christians around the world uh, are celebrating, if we can use that word, this season of creation. This is an opportunity for us to pay attention to our relationship with creation and all who share this world with us, and to acknowledge that God's desire for God's gift of creation is at the core of our faith as Christians. So recently we've had groups of Christians over at Bethlehem College who have said being anti-gay is at the core of Christian belief, and I would have some comments about that, like, well, Jesus forgot to mention it, so I'm not sure how key core it was. 
Uh, but this is stuff Jesus talk, talked about. So maybe, maybe this stuff is core to who we are as Christians. And we hear again the invitation to join God's creative work, renewing God's gift, our common home. This year the theme is the burning bush. And there are all sorts of kind of meanings to the burning bush. So a very uh, first up is that it reminds us of all the places around the world where bush and trees are burning. Uh, I was talking to Arch, uh, Archbishop, I was talking to David Rice, our ex-bishop, and I said, you know, what's it like for you in the fire seasons? And he said, well, we don't have a fire season anymore. We just have fires all year round. The temperatures are hotter, the ground is drier, the vegetation is drier, they just have bushfires all the time, somewhere on the west coast, and then they get larger during the summer. All the consequences of climate change. Other consequences of climate change are failed crops, the floods that we have just endured, uh, this winter which has been warm and wet, all because the climate is changing. Much more and intense and frequent and destructive storms and uh, the recently released uh, research from the Greenland ice sheets which says they're melting much faster than anyone predicted which will lead to sea level rises of at least 30 centimetres which doesn't sound a lot unless your house is on the, on the beachfront or your city is on the beachfront uh, and that's just the Greenland Ice shelf, ice shelf. So uh, all of that will affect all of us. So this burning bush is a symbol of the human and environmental cost of how we have lived over the last 150 years. But it also reminds us of the burning bush in Exodus. And in Exodus, the burning bush is not consumed. And rather than it being a symbol of destruction, it is a symbol of the life-sustaining presence of God. And it's a symbol of the promise of God to hear the cry of the Israelite people and to free them from slavery. And because of God's presence within the burning bush, it creates holy ground on which Moses has to take his sandals off. It's also a symbol, the flame is a symbol of the presence of the Spirit, present amongst it at, as, at the moment, present in all of creation, working to renew and restore. And it's an, an invitation for us to join in that work of the Spirit. So as we look at this, we are reminded of the destruction that goes on at the moment, but we're also reminded of God's holy and life-giving presence in this world and the work of the Spirit. And that through that presence, we are reminded that this ground is holy. And we are to treat it as if it is holy. Not just where the church is, not just where the burning bush was, but all of the world. All of God's gift is holy. And we hear again God's promise to all who are suffering, human and non-human. 
This morning we had a reading from Jeremiah, which is uh, it's one of my favourite readings. Uh, there's a song, Go Down to the House of the Potter, which I used to be able to play on the guitar a long time ago. Uh, and uh, it's just a great reading, really, I think. But we usually read it as applying to me as an individual. And I've heard lots, I mean, the Go Down to the House of the Potter has that kind of sense of this is about me and Jesus. Uh, most of the time we think about what is, uh, what is God trying to do with me? What is God molding me to do? But this reading was not for individuals. This was Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel, to the whole community. And he wasn't talking to the individuals there. He was talking about how God wanted to mold that people to be the people of God. This is about God's desire for them as the people of God and the invitation for them to trust God in the process of being moulded. Jesus was doing the same thing in the Gospel reading we heard today, that very difficult reading, but he was inviting his disciples to trust what God was up to as he moulded a new community and for that they needed to let go of how they had lived their lives up to that point. They had to allow themselves as a community to be molded and they had to trust God in that. But this is also a reading about Israel's deep reluctance to trust, deep reluctance to change how they saw the world and how they lived their lives and their inability to see how to live God's compassion and justice, which according to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel led to their crushing defeat and to exile. God, through Jeremiah, is pleading for the leaders and the people to listen. And today, Jeremiah is pleading for us to listen. But just like those Israelites of old, we are struggling to trust and we are struggling to change. It's difficult to see what we can change. Following Jesus means letting go and finding new ways of seeing ourselves and our place in the world. The question is, are we willing to listen? Listening was an important theme at Lambeth. Listening to God, listening to each other, but also listening to other voices. And so time was spent listening to the voice of indigenous people and all who were suffering. And Piopa Te Kitohi Pikaku uh, from Taitoto um, was one of the leaders in that. But it was also a time for people to listen to the voice of those who are most affected and impoverished at the moment. And there was an invitation to listen to creation itself. The theme for this season of creation is also listening. Listening both to the voice of creation, to the voice of the indigenous people here and around the world, and to the voice of all who are suffering. Lambeth and the season of creation, both inviting us to do exactly the same thing, to listen. So... I wonder if we are able to trust as Jeremiah invites us to trust, and I wonder what kind of world 
God would create if we were willing to listen? And what would we need to change if we were to listen? So I've uh, given you all, I kind of encouraged you to do this last year, but we were on Zoom. So uh, this year I have handed out the bits of paper. Uh, so this is an earth examine, and I simply invite you to find somewhere and to ask some questions to help you to take seriously and to listen the environment we live in. And I want to finish my sermon not with a conversation, but with the video I also used last year that uh, the Franciscans made to invite us to listen to the voice of creation through Indigenous people.